Welcome to the podcast that teaches you how to transform your life and your business. Here is your host, Rick Hyland, and this is CI for Life. Welcome to another Continuous Improvement for Life podcast. I'm Rick Hyland. I am excited to talk to uh, my new friend, um, Matt Boyle, today from Down Under. And uh, we're going to talk about a lot of exciting things that entrepreneurs will need to know and how to grow their business. But first of all, Matt, welcome to the podcast. Rick, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, it's a thrill. And I love your accent and love Australia, all things Australia. Um, so, you know, Matt, you've got a great story. And there's, if I was to draw out of a hat, three things for entrepreneurs to learn. Uh, one would be resilience. Two would be how to scale or grow or sell, uh, including some lead generation strategies. And number three would be then how to give back. And I think in your story, you've got all three. So I'm excited for you to kind of lay out uh, all three of those points. But why don't we start with your background and and some of the things you've had to overcome and build resiliency towards? You want to share a bit of that story? Yeah, the the condensed version of a of a pretty lengthy story is I I actually started off. Um, as one of the first um, internet sales managers in the automotive industry, way back in 2000, early 2007, I saw that the internet was changing how people how people bought, and mm. the the place I was working at at the time had a very very structured sales process, and it was the biggest dealership in the country, and it was just an amazing place to work. And I noticed that we we're getting all these internet leads coming in, and they weren't as predictable. So I kind of locked myself in an office and started figuring out the differences and what you know what changes the internet would, had made and how we can adapt to those changes and still get predictable results. So that was kind of where all of this started. And it happened to be that I had I got all the answers to the questions that other automotive brands had right at the time as they started answering it because I was a couple of years ahead of them. So I leveraged that into a um, sales training company and I opened offices around Australia and I was working with dealerships as they were migrating over to the internet and needed to upskill for the, for this new new shift. And that became a massively profitable business, but it also was horribly unfulfilling because I would sit in front of this, this group and I'd be training all these salespeople and I knew that 90% of the stuff they would do, they would not actually do. So I was training them on it and I knew that they would Within 30 days, they'd forget about everything, and there was no accountability. There was no discipline because it was all—it's all boring stuff. It's simple. It's repetitive tasks. It's not fun. And so, you know, salespeople want fun. You know, they want to be closing deals. So, you know, I knew that they weren't weren't doing it. So, I happened to have a sort of colliding story where a, a guy that I knew and I and I got to know quite well was doing a lot of work over in Thailand and he was involved with um, anti-child trafficking and anti-human trafficking and he would, you know, he had a team over in Thailand and he would, you know, spend half of, half of his year over there rescuing kids out of brothels and women out of the, these horrible situations and, you know, so I, at the same time as I'm unfulfilling here, I'm hearing about all of this this stuff and I said, man, you need to take me to Thailand. So about 2016, I spent three weeks over in Thailand 
And there we were just rescuing kids out of brothels and looking at the depravity, which is human exploitation, and just, you know, just seeing everything with my own eyes. And I got back to Australia after that and went, I can't go back to life as it was before. So that's when I kind of made the the pivot to go, well, I've got all of these systems and skills which I know can make businesses millions of dollars that they're missing out on that they ain't doing because they don't have the time, the skill, the patience, the desire to manage all this discipline. And I've got this massive, massive need with all these women and kids that are getting sold into slavery because they need money. How can I figure out how to put those two together and create a business that can actually create jobs, stop the supply of victims into this exploitive world and help businesses make more money by doing all of the stuff that they don't want to do. And that's where, that's what put, put us on the path we're on now. Yeah. And I over, you've overcome some difficulties in the meantime. Can, do you mind sharing some of those things and then how you've overcome them? Yeah. Well, through, through the shift, I'm a very visionary type of person. So I see a, see a dream and I go out there and I chase it and I don't always, you know, one of the weaknesses that I have as a leader is I don't always kind of do a proper risk analysis and a proper due diligence process. It's just see a problem, go forth and chase after it. So I never quite calculated how much it would cost to completely shift my business and how much income I was giving up on and how long it was going to take and all of that kind of stuff that anyone with a financial background and a CFOs would absolutely cringe at. And the, the consequence of that is I lost everything. You know, I lost my house, I lost my cars. You know, I had, it's what, what was the equivalence of a, a, you know, GT350 Mustang that I had to swap for a Hyundai, you know, to, you know, try to bail myself out of this, this, this problem. So, you know, we, we literally, went down to fifty dollars to our name and you know I've got six kids and we're the sole income provider so I was sitting there going oh I'm in in That's a world of trouble so yeah we you know we had to you know and I was fortunate for, and talking about that resilience I was fortunate that I was in this position that I actually couldn't quit because I wanted to you know I'm in deep in this pit and our world had fallen apart and you know, I've just moved moved my family out of our dream home and into a rental and, you know, we're struggling to make ends meet. And, you know, I went and looked at, you know, what it would take, you know, how much I could go and get a job. And, you know, I couldn't earn enough money to provide for my family, let alone try to rebuild. So, you know, I was in this situation of, well, I've got two choices. I've got no money left. So I can't go start something new. I can't go get a job because that's not going to that 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 ain't going to cover the rent that I had to pay, let alone anything else. So I really, you know, the only choice I had was to keep plowing forward. So, you know, I was up, had to knuckle down, and you know, I I sort of started working some ridiculous hours. I realised, well, there's 24 hours in a day, and thanks to the internet, I can go sell into the United States, and I can get up at four in the morning, and I can go sell you know, service and sell in the United States between 4 and 10 in the morning. I can then service from Australia from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. And then I can go sell into the UK and Europe from 4 p.m. till 10 p.m. at night. And that's basically what I 
what I started to do. And that's how I kind of was able to keep things going forward and rebuild all of our personal finances through growing the business and get back to get back to a, a position where now, you know, six years later, we're actually, you know, have a more financial control and more financial sort of stability than what we've ever had. Which is a great story. And congratulations on everything you're supporting with the the charities in Thailand and and your I guess one of the lessons I pull out of your story is the power of desperation when you you know you have needs uh, financial needs and and expectations from your family and uh, an entrepreneur that put their back against the wall and desperate will do incredible things to turn that around that's one of the learnings what what are some of the other learnings you've taken out of this kind of uh riches to rags to uh doing even better uh is there any other learnings you can pull out for entrepreneurs Look, I now have a, a CFO in my, my company. I kind of, you know, the, the biggest lesson out of all of this that I got was understand where my strengths are, but also acknowledge where my weaknesses are and where my blind sides are and where, I, you know, I'm not skilled or, or, or focused and find someone that find someone to cover my back. And my, my CFO does, an, you know, an amazing job. He's a really good friend of mine. He understands me really well, and we we kind of talk about our relationship as the accelerator and the brake. On the accelerator, I just want to plow forward and just keep growing and 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 expanding and and doing all these amazing things. He's the brake to make sure I can kind of slow down and stay in control, and that's you know that's what what's kind of is really really helping us keep on path now and keep on track and actually build a sustainable business that is. Is really having the impact and creating creating jobs and serving all the needs that I want it to I want it to serve. Wow, that is awesome! So we got a sense of urgency, and you've already explained how urgent it was. We've got <clears throat> the importance of evaluating as uh, uh, entrepreneur your own strengths and weaknesses, and covering the gaps on some of the weaknesses, whether it be marketing, finance, whatever it might be. But being honest with yourself and not if you want to do a great job, think big and uh, get the right talent in place or you won't be as successful as you can. And then, as you've said, you know, I saw a study the other day, Matt, and this might have been out of U.S. stats, but I think it'll hold true worldwide. And that is, you know, 70 percent of small businesses fail in the first five years. And the number one reason they do is lack of understanding of their financial picture and revenue and just yep. you know just work 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 and i'm hustling i'm hustling it must be okay but lack of a clear understanding of the financial picture and and the numbers in general so that's certainly uh you would echo and underline that point wouldn't you oh absolutely look as, as business owners and entrepreneurs we're all great tacticians you know i'm great at what i do you know the things that i don't do i suck at and that's the that's the part where, you know, I I learned the hard way that you're actually only as good as your weakest link, because it's the weakest link that's going to actually break you, not 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 where your strengths are. So, you know, the previous versions of myself and the younger versions wanted to do it all. Yep. The the more mature I get and the more I kind of head down this path, the more I realise that, you know, I've got to rely on people and I've got to surround myself with with great people. And then build a supportive system and a supportive environment to 
enable them to to become the best that they can be, knowing that if they do that and the system that I've built that you know does what it's supposed to do, it's going to ultimately give me a lot more of what I want than what I could get on my own. Uh, well said, because so many entrepreneurs start with, you know, I'm going to do everything. I'm not going to spend anything. And that's, in fact, the exact opposite paradigm if you really want to play big. is. Uh, and you've added another nugget here, um, and that is build a supportive system, a process. So you're not just reliant on people. You have a systematic process to both find business, fulfill business, and follow up. Uh, well done. I mean, we could stop right there, but I know you've got a lot of other value bombs. <laughs> Uh, but what a great, you know, uh, Nelson Mandela, the ex-president of South Africa, one of my heroes for many reasons, said, you know, I never lose. This is the guy in jail for 27 years, right? Um, I never lose. I either win or learn. And uh, you've, just, you've just nailed both winning and learning, uh, learning, failing and learning, and then subsequently winning. So I love that. But let's jump into sales in particular, Matt, if you don't mind. and. Do you mind sharing some of your nuggets about how to scale a business, how to get lead generation, or maybe what people don't do right and what they should do right? Either way, you want to attack that uh, question. Look, the the biggest thing that in sales that has kind of enabled me to do what we do is systems. You know, I um, spent a lot of time studying Edward Stemming, and um, he was the the guy that he was. It was an American guy at the end of World War Two that got laughed out of the United States because he was talking about process improvement and and quality, you know, quality improvement and 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 all of this stuff that was just, you know, he was he was laughed at. So he went to Japan and instilled a lot of this a lot of these systems into Japan and and has been largely credited with being, you know, a, a pivotal figure in their kind of economic turnaround in the the decades post post World War II. So I studied a lot of his theories about continuous improvement and quality control, you know, and and his whole thing was focus on quality and consistency. And so I sort of have taken that into the sales and in, into the sales world. And as we started to sort of build our first center in and in, in the Philippines, and I started to look at all of the areas where sales could go wrong, I I started to sort of focus on systems. And it's just evolved into that. That now, if you look at how we run our our our, our own business, and now I run my own sales team, I have a process for everything. So our sales guys, there's nothing left. You know, there, there's not, nothing left for them to think about. They they have a, a consistent routine where they go in every morning, they plan their day. We have different kind of lead management strategies of you know what are the leads that are most likely to buy you know make a decision today they become your first priority what are the leads that you know are most likely to turn into what we call a gold lead in the next three days and then what's everything else and so they plan their day around around the quality of their leads and then there's processes to go okay well we've got an eight-hour shift so how much time are we going to spend prospecting how much time are we going to spend following up how much time are we going to spend writing proposals how much time are we going to spend you know, actively, you know, um, talking with with our gold lead. So they plan all of that. And then inside of that, then there's all the supportive systems of going, okay, when we're following up, here's our checklists. Here's what we need to do. And there's, you know, it's instructions. There's, I've, I've spent so much time building 
training videos and training documents that are all embedded in their project management tool. So there's nothing left. There's nothing left to chance. So Matt, does that include also like scripts for your first discovery call with them scripts for closing? I mean, does it lay out some standard operating? We have, we have frameworks more than scripts. Um, You know, so uh, one of the things that makes a huge impact in sales is authenticity. And what I found back in my sales training days is if, Guys were following a script verbatim. They're not. They're, they're not authentic. Yeah. So I want them to come across a lot more convincing and believable. So we give them frameworks. We say this is the things that we need to talk about. This is the, you know, phase one of the call, phase two, phase three, and these are the milestones, in you know, in in inside of that. So we have have all of that. But then we actually have another layer of systems where we have a quality control. So. The systems that we've built, every single action is monitored, managed, and measured. So all our phone calls are recorded and transcribed. All of our messages in in LinkedIn, email, SMS, you know, are, are all kind of documented. And in our kind of sales pipeline, we have, you know, our structure where we have an unqualified lead and then we have a qualified lead. And there's a milestone go through there. So the first role when a, when a lead is generated, is to qualify them. And we've set out our qualifying criteria, um, you know, which is, are they a decision maker? Can they afford us? Do they have a compelling set of needs? Are they prepared to act on those needs now? And will our solution solve their, solve their problems and be of value for them? So we have those five qualifying criteria. As soon as, as, soon as any one of our sales reps moves a lead from an unqualified lead to a qualified lead, that triggers a quality control. And we actually have someone that their job is to then go review all of the correspondence to make sure that our sales rep has asked those questions and qualified them properly. So we then also have that at 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 a future stage when they go to a proposal stage to go, have they created enough value and have they, you know, we have a st- framework for our, our strategy calls and, and that have they actually created enough value? Have they matched our needs, you know, our value to the prospect's needs? You know, have they engaged in the prospects and that? Now, the third layer as you go down that is then how we manage them. So we then, when those, when those quality control comes up, we use that as coaching. So we're constantly coaching our, our agents on a daily basis, on a you know, while it's fresh in their mind, and we're focusing on the areas of growth. So we'll look at all those things. The quality controller will go, you know, there are seven out of ten on this thing. So instead of disciplining them and going, you know, you're not doing well enough, our managers actually spend the time every day to go, hey, let's spend let's spend a bit of time on qualifying. How else could you be asking questions about their needs? How much more can we uncover? We need to go deeper, and that and it's that kind of three sort of layers of firstly having it really laid out super easy for them and having the accountability around activity on the the top that is is vital that we we know exactly what they need to do on a day we can measure that at activity of going are they are they sending enough linkedin messages are they sending enough emails are they doing the work right then having that kind of you know middle layer of quality control how well are they doing it and then the third level of having it, of then being able to sort of coach them daily while those experiences are fresh in their mind, means that 
our guys in the Philippines can sell business franchises, can sell hedge funds, can help raise capital for for companies, can deal with some of the most complex sales imaginable and deliver a consistent result for ourselves and and for our clients. Mm, I love that. I, I, I have a seven-step sales accelerator process that the listeners know about, but three of the points you just hit are the most important points. One is have a have a system, a sales process, a system, if you will, have a framework around that with best practices inside of it. Oh, I like your term of framework so that we can get authenticity. And then I call it a business development framework, but basically measure it, monitor it. And then to your third point, quality control, feedback and coaching. And you really, you said a really important point in there. You got to keep it positive. Uh, otherwise people will hate the system, right? Some people are against measurement already <laughs> or frameworks already or process, but we know it works. We know it drives consistency and can drive excellence, but particularly as you coach it with positivity, catching people doing things right, and then also trying to pull out the learnings. Uh, any comments about that summary? Yeah, look, yeah, 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 spot on. The people don't like being managed, you know, and in the selling environment, you know, there's so many studies that say that that kind of prove, and there's different numbers, but prove how you say things has more of an impact than what you say mm. and how you feel that energy that you're you're going on. So what actually you're not not saying the nonverbal cues, the tonality, the the um, pitch, the volume of your voice has more of an impact in influencing the sale than anything else. And, you know, I say to my guys that you've got to be believable and to be believable, you've actually got to believe in what you're saying. And if you don't believe in what you're saying, so if you're scared about, oh, am I saying this right? Or, well, rather than going, I don't want to get trouble or, you know, especially in the, the Philippines where, you know, where our office is at the moment, you know, they're driven largely by fear of, oh, if you don't do this well, then you're losing your job. Right. On the on the call, when they're talking to prospects, they transfer all of that kind of negative emotion in so they might say all the right things, but the prospects don't believe them. And if the prospects don't believe them, they ain't buying. So, you know, we spend a huge amount of time, you know, setting that culture and setting the expectations that we want everyone working hard, but we want everyone having fun and we want to make everything everything really positive so we have our we call it a level 10 meeting in the morning and that's just to get the intention set for the day get everyone focused get everyone keen and then we do our, our real real-time coaching and everything is sort of positive now that said if someone ain't doing the work you know go back to level one if someone ain't putting in the effort in doing what they need to do that's a different conversation right that's, that's a different conversation that we have compared to someone that's putting the work in but not getting the result. Right. You know, and 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 people know if they don't put the work in, they don't last very long. So if they're not hitting the activity quotas, what we said, or if they're, you know, misrepresenting what they're doing, they don't last very long. So there's that strong accountability around that. But then there's a strong focus of going, if you put the work in, it's our responsibility as a company to make sure the system and the coaching and the the leadership that's that's around you help you know get you successful and if you're putting the work in and you're not successful that's actually on us and our responsibility to fix not yours yep yeah well said on both sides of that issue the high performer or those that are struggling so i really want to ask you this comes up in conversation and, and in blogs all the time 
lead generation strategies. And I know it's different for every business, but you know, I'll, I'll share a, a, an old paradigm. Hopefully it's an old paradigm of entrepreneurs that I'll just get, you know, word of mouth and social media going and my business will be a booming success. Um, what advice do you give to entrepreneurs starting up or still in the first couple of years about principles and practices for lead generation? You've always got to be generating leads. You've always got to be consistent. Be, be consistent activities deliver consistent results you know and we work mainly in the b2b space but me too don't rely on inbound because if you're relying on inbound especially with the climate we're facing at the moment with the uncertainty and 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 all that stuff it's it's going to be expensive it's going to be inconsistent and you know the lead quality ain't always there because the biggest problem with inbound is if someone is is going out, out there and actively looking, you're hitting that 3% of the, the market that is actively looking, but they're also weighing up multiple vendors, multiple partners. So you are now competing with four, five, six, seven other, and usually other, other, other companies. So you're yeah. paying more for the lead and it's actually harder to sell because you're dealing with competition through from that, where if you can have the right outbound strategy in place and understand that, there's there, there there's a nurturing process that goes in that you can sometimes hit leads that are ready to buy now, but then most of those leads are going to be ready to buy in 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, and that and have that right kind of nurturing process in place. What you'll actually find is your lead costs drop down dramatically, lead volumes will increase dramatically, and the ease of sale and the profit margins you can sell at will grow because you know, you go down and you when you enter into a sort of a, a negotiating process, you might be dealing with one other vendor. Often you're dealing with none. So, you know, being consistent with that outbound and having that that multi-step strategy is the, the biggest thing. So, you know, one of the campaigns and the typical structure that we will kind of run with with clients is we'll use LinkedIn because that's in the B2B space, that's the, the best place. And we're going to, create an outreach plan that starts conversations and we don't want to we don't want to pitch straight off the bat but we also don't want to just just go hey let's have a chat we want to keep it focused on business and opportunities and the products that we're we're selling we might use a market research survey we might use an interactive um, brochure and some stuff that we've developed around that um, we'll run bi-monthly webinars so we combine all of these kind of different outreach plans. We, you know, with the goal of getting them into a into a conversation. And that, as we sort of, as I mentioned earlier, we have a process of there's an unqualified lead or a qualified lead. An mm. unqualified lead stays in this nurturing process where they get invited to our, our webinars. They get, you know, um, different opportunities to start those conversations. And that's a, you know, that that's one kind of cycle and loop. That, that that we have, but as soon as they turn from an unqualified lead into a qualified lead, bang, that is now active selling. They get draw, drawn out of that, and now we're trying to sit there and negotiate with them. And, you know, that structure can be modified very, very easily to suit any business, especially the B2B space, any business, any product, any sales team size, and can be leveraged to the fact of, we can automate it and we can outsource it and we can do it in such a way 
that the quality is where is is actually better than if you're doing it yourself because everything is systemized and everything is measurable and and manageable. So Matt, that's awesome. You've got so much in there. I know you mentioned multi-step. What if you were a B2B sales manager, person, entrepreneur, what would be the levers? You've already mentioned one, LinkedIn, uh, some prospecting, some nurturing on LinkedIn. What else would you generally recommend to a, a company that's B2B? Is there other strategies? Is cold calling, referrals? What else would you put in the bucket that's been effective for B2B? Look, I I do my best to avoid cold calling strategies um, these days just because the time that you spend dialing and listening to voicemails can be better spent in in, in, in other ways. You know, LinkedIn is certainly the, the pivotal part of anyone in B2B. If you're in B2B, LinkedIn has to be a vital sort of part of your, your strategy because the insights you can get to the decision makers and the companies and and that is 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 vital. Inside of that, you know, you need to understand LinkedIn is a tool, not a strategy. And so you need to build the strategy around your your market. And you know, I I'll always take people on a journey of going, well, let's look at firstly how big your market is. Is it a big global audience or is it a very small, small audience? then how easy or hard it is to engage in it. Are they really easy and talkative or are they really hard to hard to get? And once you kind of have those two references, the strategies become a lot clearer as what you do. One of the strategies that we we use is um, we'll invite people out to a dinner. So this works in high trust, small markets where there's high trust, high relationship that's needed. That we'll actually invite. We'll we'll put a dinner on every six or eight weeks. We'll invite ten to twelve people at a time. We pay for everything. We take them out to a you know five star restaurant. We block off a you know a, a private room and go go and take them out and and give them a really great experience through that. That we give them you know we have a little gift personalized gift for them. So when they get there, we really create that amazing experience, amazing relationship. You know, on that, there's no pitching, there's no talk of business on that night. But then on the follow-up, once they've once they've had that night, it's then going, hey, now let's catch up for a one-on-one. Now that strategy there works amazing if you've got a small market, if it's hard to reach, and there's a high trust, high value sale. That doesn't work if you've got a global audience and you've got a, a low-cost product and 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 that kind of stuff. So you know, having those two reference points in the beginning dictate the strategy, you know, dictate the best sort of strategy within the platform and within the, you know, the, the tech stack that's that's available. Yeah, really good point. Well said. It does depend on, on, on understanding your ideal customer a little bit better. I got a thunderstorm going on in the background here. So let me ask the question slightly differently. It pick your brain uh, and all the sales experience. Think about the best salespeople you've ever worked with. What were the characteristics of those people? How would you describe the best of the best in sales versus somebody that's trying hard but not getting it? Is it can you describe characteristics or ways of thinking? How would you describe? They were the, the best salespeople I ever see are selectively deaf, and then also selectively have laser hearing. 
And what I mean by that is the best salespeople ignore a no, or they don't get they, they don't get phased by a no. They no, just want to follow the yeah. they they want to follow the process and and that they understand that you know a no is more more likely an opportunity to uncover some more value early and they, they'll go for them early in the process so they can really uncover the prospect's needs the prospect's you know desires the value and make sure they're matching their services towards it so they you know they don't get rattled by that they they rock up they do the work but then they're also really attentive and really listening to all of the subtle cues inside of what the client says and as soon as they 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 hear one little thing that they can exploit to uncover the value and match the needs they focus in on that so you know that's that's the skills that i've seen in the best salespeople from from there is it you know and that that's a rare it's a it's a rare combination you you either get people that are completely tone deaf and will just rattle through the process or you get people that are you know will will hear the right things but as soon as they get a note will stop finding the people that can understand the balance between both is really what sets them up for success oh i couldn't agree more so really good at listening really good then at matching and articulating the needs and what they've heard because that's that's a critical step right you've got to articulate your product or service to meet their needs and if they don't make the connection because of what you said you've lost them and then I really like your idea that, you know, no just means another opportunity to understand their needs, build more trust, not to be annoying, but to understand needs and don't get phased and rattled by it. And uh, that happens quite a bit, right? Like, oh, I did the perfect pitch. I did everything great. And they still said no. And then they close their books and shut it down where there was lots of opportunity still to to learn and maybe even um, sell, <laughs> Yeah, uh, look, we, <laughs> one of the things we measure when we're doing our QC checks is how many questions they ask. Yes. Because, you know, so many salespeople will do a great pitch, but the pitch is just like a, a one-way. Right. It's just a one-way thing. We do this, we do this, we do this, blah, 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 blah. And they waffle on for 15, 20 minutes and don't give the prospect an opportunity to ask any questions. And, you know, you've lost them. You know, so we, we measure how many questions they're asking you know, how regularly they're kind of stopping for feedback and going, you know, hey, I've just finished making this value point. What's your opinion on that? Yeah. Does, uh, you, wow. I mean, are we charging for this? Are we giving this to people free now <laughs> on this? This is value everywhere. The value of good open-ended questions. Sometimes we fall in love with our pitch and we don't leave time at the beginning to understand need, in the middle to match need to what you're saying. And then at the end, to build a plan and hopefully their ideas to build a next step plan or a sale and giving them well, time to talk. So yeah, it's all uh, about in each phase, it's all about the good questions you can ask. It's it's stopping, it's tying, it's keeping those conversations going. And you know, we I train our guys and and you know anyone that kind of is listening is, you know, pitch less, ask more. Yeah. You know, and I'll always use the reference. I think it was um I think it was Donald Miller wrote the book. Um where he talks about the four characters in any story. You've got the hero, you've got the villain, you've got the victim, and you've got the guide. And so when we're crafting presentations, we want to make sure that we present our client or the prospect as the hero in the story. That They're the ones that need to ultimately go save the victim, which is 
the problem that they're trying to solve, the, you know, the, the cure to their problem from the villain, which is the problem, and us as the guide. So we don't want to be the hero. Most people, when they're making a pitch, they position themselves as the hero. Hey, we're going to come in and we're going to do this and we're going to change your business and yada, 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 which turns people off because, hey, I'm an egotist. I don't want someone to come and solve my problems for me. I want to solve them. So if someone comes and sits there and goes, hey, I can help you do that, and they position themselves as the guide, all of a sudden it's now going, oh, I get to solve this problem. I'm going to look great in front of my, you know, I'm going to get look great in front of the rest of my team because I've solved this problem and I've made this decision and I've done that. And it's a, it's a subtle shift in language, subtle shift in presentation, but it has a huge impact in how it's received. And then if you're, you're doing that and you're seeking that feedback all the way through to keep them engaged, you get to the end and all of a sudden the the quality of the conversation is a heck of a lot, heck of a lot better. It's a lot more authentic. And then you're actually finding out where they're really at, yeah. dealing with a real objection, which can be dealt with, which is a question rather than these kind of superficial ones of, oh, I need to push this up the up the pipeline and talk to talk to my people and get back to you, which is, you know, code for I'm not really interested. I, I want to get you out of here because you've lost me. 20 yeah. minutes ago and I never want to sit never want to see you again. Yeah. Well, your your principle of be the guide not the hero is 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 spot on and it, it let me give you another example why it's so important what you just said and that is in our consulting business when we'd sell million 2 million dollar packages and if you're positioning yourself as the hero, they want you. So, I just bought a 2 million dollar package from you and you, you're the hero, you're the guy, you're the guy that knows all the answers with the energy, passion, it's all about you. you and then that's all they want is you. And you can't leverage your time. You can't leverage your business because you need exactly. the four coaches to go in and help solve their problems and deliver on the ROI you promised. But if you've set yourself as a hero, now all of a sudden you've got a time and you're the bottleneck, if you will. So yep. that's one more reason to be the guide not the hero in this sales. And and it does change your mindset, right? It does absolutely change the way uh, you approach I, Totally. Like I, I don't want to be the hero in the story because it's too much responsibility. Yeah, and, and too much of your time. Yeah, um, it's too much time. It's too much focus. But also on the prospect's end, if I'm the hero, then they, you know, they're relying on me. They're sitting there waiting for me to save them. And it's kind of going, dude, you're going to do it yourself. Like, no. you know. You know, you, you've got this on the line. Like when I lost everything and I was down deep in that pit, man, I was looking for someone to, I was desperately looking for someone to save me, but no one was there. So I had to do it myself. You know, you, and that's why, that's how, that's how I've grown. So I want anyone I, I deal with, I want them to become better at themselves through my help rather than me just getting them, me just right getting on. them the result. Right on. Okay. Well, close this. Before I ask you to share your uh, email or website or what you got going on, tell people a little bit about the philanthropy side and giving back. I support over here Operation Underground Railroad. That's the sexual exploitation. Oh, awesome, awesome, awesome group. Yeah, they're doing great work. So, um, and I think this is just a critical attribute of a successful long-term entrepreneur is to, to give back to the causes that, so can you mention a little bit more about what you're doing and and why? Well, we giving back is the, the pivotal part of our business. And what we made the decision of is 
if we could build these great systems, we can employ whoever we want. If we can build the systems that anyone can manage, we can choose who we employ and we can build our team. So we build our centers with the, the sole goal of creating jobs in these high-risk areas for, for, for victims that have been rescued, for victims oh, yeah. that are at risk and that. So we use our centers and the job creation to impact these communities and impact these people positively. Um, so we make sure our centers, we make sure our team, we pay them really well, we give them great conditions. But we also make sure that through through what we're doing there, we're actually impacting the community. So we 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 get involved in in projects there, and and all that kind of stuff. But it's the the flow on effect of we we we've got people that we employ. We're giving them a regular salary. They're spending that salary in the the community, and that that kind of cumulative effect there is having is having an impact in these high risk areas because now. They don't need to go borrow money off these traffickers. They don't need to go take these jobs, you know, that that get scammed into. They don't need to make, you know, go. They don't need to sort of enter down this path that can easily lead them into in, into the situations where they're being forced against their will and all that kind of stuff. Because there's an, an employer that is prepared to give them a go, prepared to train them, prepared to pay them well, and encourage them to sort of grow in in this kind of safe environment yeah well said thank you for doing that so matt um you're the ceo and founder of online to offline o2o why don't you tell us a little bit more about that and what some of the things you got going and then where people can find you yeah look best place to find me is on linkedin um i'm sure you'll have the the link you know inside, inside the show notes but it's matthew spelt with one t Boyle. you know we work with b2b companies a lot of startups a lot of scale-ups that are really looking to sort of build their own sales team. So we run um, just lead generation campaigns and we can help build a, a, a strategy around lead generation based on some of the stuff we've kind of spoken about here, but there's a few layers that we go through to, you know, before we kind of, you know, build the right strategy, right the way through to being able to build and manage a full sales team. So we have a few layers that, you know, we have just lead generation, lead generation and sales, sales and sales management, or even sales directors. So we can kind of fill any any of the gaps from a sales point of view in a fractional fractional part-time basis, in a full-time basis, or being able to build and scale a team, team of any size, um, both remote, based out of the Philippines, or um, local, U USA, um, Australia. You know, we, we we kind of work work at any size. That's awesome. Love it. Matthew Boyle, thank you so much for what you're doing. You're an inspiration with your story of uh, learning from your uh, failures or setbacks. And I wish you all the best in, in the future. And uh, hopefully listeners will look up uh, Matthew Boyle with one T on LinkedIn and check out what Matt's doing and the great work he's supporting and the careers and jobs he's uh, building for at-risk people in the Philippines. So, Matt, thanks again. Great pleasure. It's been fun. Cheers. Cheers.